Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Hello once again, I've called this Truth Talk, Walking with Jesus. The events of the first resurrection, that's Easter Sunday, started just before dawn, where the Lord of Life broke out of the tomb. And it ended at dusk after two disciples had the privilege of walking with him on the road to Emmaus. Every year at about this time we commemorate the most important day in human history. Peter stated its significance when he wrote that God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's in 1 Peter 1.3. Now early in the morning of the 6th of April 30 AD, as close as I can calculate, Jesus of Nazareth rose up through his burial clothes and walked out of a sealed tomb. By the way, the angels did not roll the stone away that was securing the tomb to let Jesus out, but to let the disciples in so that they could see that the tomb was empty and he was no longer there. Now later that day, two disciples left Jerusalem to go back to their home in the little village of Emmaus, some 11 kilometers away. The story of their journey is told in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 22. Let me recount it to you. One of the disciples was Cleopas, and we can deduce, I believe, that the other one was his wife, Mary. In John 19:25, John records that Cleopas's wife, Mary, was with the other woman observing the crucifixion. And although tradition holds that Clopas, a slightly different spelling mentioned in John 19, is not the same person as Cleopas of Luke 24, I actually believe that they are the same person, that this was a married couple walking with Jesus to Emmaus. The two of them were sad and confused. And as they journeyed, they were discussing the events of the weekend. Jesus walked up and joined them, but they didn't recognize him. So he asked them, what are you talking about? And Cleopas rather rudely retorted that he must be the only person in Jerusalem that didn't know what had happened there. And then they told him that they had hoped that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And they recounted all that had befallen him, Jesus, while he, the risen Lord, was actually walking with him. Isn't that ironic? Telling him all about what had happened to him. Jesus responded by rebuking them. He said, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Then comes the most significant statement in Luke's account. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What a Bible study. What a privilege to have had the author and subject of the scripture teaching them. No wonder that later on they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then just as it was getting dark, they arrived at Emmaus and the couple invited Jesus to stay and eat supper with them. They gave him the honor of breaking the bread to commence the meal. The account many says, that as Jesus was breaking the bread and giving it to them, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. 
You know, it's quite possible that as Jesus did this, his wrists were exposed to view and they saw the fresh nail wounds. Jesus broke open the grave clothes, he broke open the scriptures, he broke open the eyes, and he broke the bread. Now we need to recognize that this Jesus who opened the scriptures to those two disciples is the same Jesus who opens them to us today. This Jesus is the fullness of the deity living in bodily form, Colossians 2.9, and the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, Hebrews 1.13. This same Jesus stands before us today and says something like this, Here I am. I'm your creator and the source of all knowledge and wisdom. So listen to me. Copy me, obey me, and welcome my living in your life and through your life. Now, how would you call a Bible-believing Christian of today who disregards this wonderful fact, this wonderful truth? Well, we would have to call such a person what Jesus called the two disciples who are walking with him, foolish and slow of heart to believe. For surely what he said, did, modeled and revealed must be our primary guide to faith and life. This is what I call the Christocentric principle. And it's an approach to understanding the Bible and life from a Jesus perspective. To be Christocentric, Jesus-centered, is really not just a matter of talking about him or adding his name to the end of our prayers, you know, in Jesus' name, amen, or wearing a what would Jesus do bracelet. Nor is it just trying to find references, types, or actual appearances of him in every book of the Bible. No, it's more about viewing the Bible and life through Jesus' spectacles, the lens of what he said, did, modeled and revealed, I, I want to stress to you the importance of interpreting the Bible Christocentrically. Now, while this is my main lesson in this truth talk, we can draw several other lessons from the narrative of walking with Jesus, and I want to just recount them very briefly to you. Firstly, God initiates encounters and we respond. He is neither evoked nor persuaded to appear to us. You see, it was Jesus who approached the disciples on the road and not the other way around. He approaches us. He initiates encounters. Secondly, sometimes we fail to recognize him when he does approach us because we just don't expect to encounter him. I remember many years ago what happened when I flew down to Cape Town to conduct my niece's wedding. As I drove into the venue parking area in my rented car, I spotted my elderly father being helped out of the car that had brought him and my mother to the venue. I rushed over to him and said, Hello there. Now, I guess he hadn't been told that I was flying in to conduct the wedding because he looked at me quizzically and asked, And who might you be, young man? You see, he didn't recognize me at first because he wasn't expecting to see me. It wasn't until I said, Dad, it's me, Christopher that he recognized. Thirdly, when we encounter Jesus, we tend to talk too much and listen too little, just like those two disciples. Then something else to note is that Bible study is not just about Jesus, 
but with him. We should commune with him as we read the Bible, interacting with him in the context of the text and our lives. And then lastly, the Lord's Table, often called Holy Communion, is not a ritual tagged onto the end of a church service. It should be what its ascription implies, communion with the living Lord of all. And maybe as we take communion in the name of Jesus in tight fellowship with them, maybe he will reveal something as he revealed the scars of his wrist to them and they had an eye-opening experience. So can we. I want to move Christocentricity from the realm of theory to practice by giving a few examples of how it's applied. Now the main idea is to determine what Jesus taught or modelled or either directly or indirectly concerning the text that we're looking at or a life situation before us. Now one issue that Jesus addressed directly is adultery. And adultery is a really big problem in, in our world today amongst many, many people and many, many church leaders. As part of his Sermon on the Mount, that's Matthew 15, Jesus explained the extent of the seventh commandment, which reads, you shall not commit adultery. And he explained it very clearly, very succinctly. So we really don't need to go further than this to know what it is and that it is prohibited. But what about an issue that Jesus did not address directly, like homosexuality? Another big issue. Gay rights, people in the pew, people in the pulpit, and so on and so forth. Big issue today. Well, he didn't teach on it directly, but he did model how we should treat people involved in sexual sin. John chapter 8 contains the story of how the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus by bringing to him a woman caught in the very act of adultery. By the way, I've often wondered where the man was. I mean, surely if they were caught in the act of adultery, they caught them both. But you see, this was a setup. They weren't interested in the man. They were interested in the woman. The man was probably their agent in this whole thing. The question was, would he condemn her to death by stoning, or would Jesus pardon her? The Lord challenged that any among them who was without sin should throw the first rock at her. Now they pondered this and they slunk off, leaving the woman lying among the, their discarded rocks at Jesus' feet. He asked her, where were those who had condemned her? And she observed that they had all gone. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Wonderful model for us. If we apply this to the issue of homosexuality, and indeed all sexual sin, the lesson is quite clear. Extend dignity, extend human worth to the person. Refrain from condemnation. Refrain from saying, you're going straight to hell, you sinner. But challenge clearly for a changed behaviour in the future. One last example that is also relevant to us today in these troubled times, these dangerous times. Many Christians, may Christians, they say, arm themselves for self-protection. Well, just before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told his disciples that their lives were about to change radically. He said that if they didn't have a sword, then they should sell their cloak if necessary to acquire it. Luke 22. Well, you know, that's pretty clear, is it not? The disciples responded with, See, Lord, 
here are two swords. And Jesus retorted with, that's enough. A short while later, when the rabble came to arrest Jesus, Peter drew his sword and cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Jesus immediately rebuked him with the words, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given me? That's in John 18 verse 11. Now, I know there have been several attempts to reinterpret this text, but for me the message is clear. We may protect ourselves, but we may not attack others. Self-defense, yes. Aggression, no. Now, in these and other matters, I'm fully aware that there are many other aspects we need to consider and many other scriptures we need to reference to find the full picture. However, we are bound to start with what Jesus said, did, modeled and revealed, and to use this as our primary method of determining correct interpretation and practice. If we did this consistently, there would be less confusion and fewer squabbles over doctrine. So then, Easter Friday is all about Jesus dying for our sin of rebellion, so that we could be forgiven and restored. Resurrection Sunday morning is all about his rising from the dead to provide us with a template for new spiritual birth into eternal life. Resurrection afternoon is all about Jesus walking with us and us with him along the road of life. Jesus died for us and all we can do is believe and accept. He rose for us and his spirit alone gives us new birth into a living hope. Our life with him on this planet, however, starts with our salvation and ends with our passing on into glory. Between the start and the end, we need to walk with him in trust and obedience. And this walk would be so much more significant if we would make it all about Jesus. Walking out life by living out a Jesus-centered understanding and application of Scripture. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.